0: Hello and welcome to episode number 154, whoa, of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me this week is Kelly Faircloth from Jezebel. If you're on the internet, and I presume that you are, and you read things about the romance industry, which I presume that you do, you may have seen two of her recent long form essays along with a bunch of short awesome essays about the romance genre. One was a long history of Harlequin and how Harlequin became the shorthand name to refer to the entire genre. And a more recent one was about how romance writers get quote, a silly, sappy rap. They're both excellent. So I asked her if she would please tell me all about how she came to research these pieces and where they came from and what the reception has been. And as a romance fan talking to another romance fan, we of course talked about really important things like sexuality and romance, and how Harlequin advertised their novels inside Kotex pads, or maybe laundry detergent, or both. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of As Lost As I Get, the highly anticipated sequel to Lisa Nichols' first sexy romantic suspense novel, The Farther I Fall, available everywhere ebooks are sold on August 18th. And this month, we have a podcast transcript sponsor. If you prefer to read rather than listen, you can thank Garlic Knitter for our fine handcrafted transcripts. And the transcripts are being sponsored by Wattpad, a community of over 40 million people from around the world, reading, writing, and connecting over stories. Whatever you're into, there's a story you'll love on Wattpad, maybe one of the more popular stories right now, Omerta by Katarina Tonks. You can join today and find your own Happily Ever After at Wattpad. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater and I will have information at the end of the podcast. And now without any other delay, on with the podcast. All right, so let's do this cuz I am so excited to talk to you you have no idea. This is going to be so, it's not like I haven't talked to you before, but I'm like this is going to be so fun. So, you know, no pressure. There's only like 3 or 4 questions that involve math. So, would you please introduce yourself and tell the lovely people who are listening what awesome things that you do?
1: So, um, my name is Kelly Faircloth, and I write for Jezebel. Um, I I sort of handle a lot of the stuff on our history sub site, Pictorial, and I also write a lot about um, romance novels. <laughs> because, yeah, yes, we've we've noticed. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's fun because it, it it ends up sort of being a you know a fun. Way into that particular topic. you know, if if you sort of you know you do a lot of of like writing about history and stuff, it, it it's sort of a fun angle on the topic of romance, I think.
0: Yeah, for romance fans, it's a little weird to see actual journalism practiced about the genre. <laughs> We're a little freaked out by you. We're, we're a little weirded out, but then you post something and it's like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like your long form history of Harlequin and why everyone refers to romances as Harlequin. And then the recent piece where you talked about why romance writers have such a crappy rep and have to deal with so much stigma. What made you choose those, those two topics?
1: Well, it's actually, it's it's actually kind of funny how, um, it sort of started with the, I guess a good place to start is kind of, you know, the Harlequin piece. And, um, you know, I'd been wanting to just to write something. I'd been wanting to start tackling sort of the subject of, of romance in, in my writing more often, because I thought that there was a lot there to write about. But people like, you know, like you said, a lot of times people don't Write about it, and 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 they, you know, they or they don't take it seriously, or you know, because because part of what kind of got me on the the topic generally is, you know, it's this corner of pop culture that is is very big, and there's a lot of activity, and there's a lot of really devoted fans, and you know, a lot of like you know, companies have big businesses in 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 the genre. And, um, you know, I sort of, I felt like, and, and, and I felt like there was sort of sort of something that was going on there that was interesting that, that nobody was writing about. And, um, I felt like it was especially interesting in contrast to, um, comic books get written about a lot and they get written about very seriously and there's sort of a cultural consensus that there's something that that's, that there's good stories being told there and it's interesting and you know a lot of that is driven by huge blockbuster movies but like people sort of you know people sort of have a, a, a different approach to that or, or like the way you know like Game of Thrones gets written about very seriously by a lot of people and you know companies that that, that do like you know long essays about like international politics they'll write about Game of Thrones in kind of a fun way. Well, they'll you know they'll write about like what's the economics of the world of Game of Thrones and and you know and and like what are the political choices being made in Game of Thrones and and you know I love Game of Thrones but like I don't necessarily see it as being intrinsically more serious than than you know popular <laughs> romance novels. Um, so I felt like you know there was a lot of places where people were sort of writing you know in an entertaining and interesting way about. Other genre stuff, and and there was nobody doing it about romance. And I mean, that's like one of the main things I read. I read, I read nonfiction history, and I read, I read romance novels. And I think part of the reason that that a lot of the coverage is sort of, you know, uninformed is because pe- people who go into journalism a lot of times they read like science fiction or fantasy. A lot of them don't, you know, aren't as familiar with the romance genre. So you know, there's so there's like nobody who sort of has, you know, people don't necessarily have the the passion for it, um, and I think it requires a certain level of passion to write about it in a, in a way that's informed, because there's so much, there's just so much romance out there. So you kind of have to have, have done some reading on it. So I went to my editor, and and I was like, you know, I want to do something on this, and I sort of thought like maybe I'll start going subgenre by subgenre, because you know, this the, it, it's sort of an interesting way to look at it, like you know, sort of the secretary boss comes up at the same time as, like, women are getting into the workplace in the 80s and, you know, gothics are around in the 50s and 60s and when, you know, the condition of women is very different and, you know, I thought about maybe that would be an interesting way into the topic, but I, I started writing these Outlander recaps and um, one of the things that people would, would comment is they'd be like, I don't understand why this is any different from a Harlequin romance novel and everybody knows that term and I was like, well... Harlequin doesn't do, like, traditionally Harlequin has not done historical romance. I mean, they've published some, but, like, con- like they, like, the stereotypical Harlequin romance novel is a category romance, and it's contemporary. And I realized that, basically, everybody knows this term, and nobody knows what the company actually does. So it's it's ubiquitous, like, every, you know, hugely, you know, hugely popular, hugely well-known, nobody knows, like, uh, like, not no, I mean, obviously, readers know what it is, but there's a big information gap between, um you know, what people know about it and what is actually happening there. So I actually kind of realized before I could write anything else about it, I kind of had to like, you know, explain the wheel to everyone before I got into the finer points of mechanical engineering. Um, so I, that's kind of how that Harlequin piece happened is, you know, I, I, I basically realized I couldn't, I couldn't get into any of the deeper, like any of the other stuff I wanted to talk about without just having a very basic like explainer for like, like please don't call. I don't know. Like please don't. Like please stop conflating like the entire genre with one, admittedly very important company. But like that is not like they do such a specific thing. And yes. Nobody knows that, you know.
0: <laughs> even uh, um, even the article this past week in Newsweek about uh, for such a time by Kate Breslin, the image at the top of the article was of Harlequin. And Harlequin has nothing to do with that book. Bethany House is not a subsidiary of Harlequin. And I and I asked the 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 reporter about that and he said, Well, that was the only image in the Reuters database that was tagged as a romance genre. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, well, that kinda proved Kelly's point.
1: I mean, it does. It it is interesting. It's very interesting writing about it because, like, I, I, you know, I I started, you know, I was going to work on this Harlequin thing and it was, it was actually really fun to write about, but it was an actual, it was, it was rewarding, but it was challenging because, you know, you go to write about mystery and there's all these, you know, I feel like there's just been a lot more like books about books about on on the genre, you know, like there's a lot more sort of cultural awareness of it. And people have done all these, um, you know, people people have done all, all 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 this writing about it, and all these essays about it, and just, and you know, and and there's just so much research that's been done. Whereas Harlequin, like, I was actually like sort of shocked at how few histories of the company there are, and like a lot of them are out of print. Honestly, I, I actually sympathize with people who are sort of like you know beat reporters who are assigned to write about a story that's happening, like like when you know the Harper Call, like when Harper Collins acquired harlequin i i mean i actually do kind of like sympathize with people who you know there's like a sign to write something about this big publishing story but they know nothing about the genre and like you know they end up falling back on these stereotypes because like it actually is very hard to you know to, to like to, to google up like you know what's the deal with harlequin romance and get a good explanation of it and that's part of why I, you know i wrote that long article is because it's this it's this incredibly fascinating business story, and you know, there's just not a lot of you know in like just, you know, there's just not a lot out there on it. it. Sort of gets at the sort of the you know the ins and outs of the you know the, the company's history.
0: You also outlined how Harlequin's attempts to sell its books through the through the sale of products, like it closely aligned itself with grocery products. That that, that, that mm-hmm. contributed to its reputation. How did you find those advertisements? So that was that was one of my favorite like things that I lo- like. That I was, was so by.
1: fascinating,
0: so fascinating. And I
1: wish I so that there, that I could find more like visual visual stuff about that. Um, it was a specific book. It was um, the best book on that was um, uh, Love's Sweet Revenge. Which is this, um, uh, let me get the author's name. Um,
0: Don't sweat it, I can look it up. It's sort of an
1: academic, sort of like, you know, sort of one of those, like, you know, uh, 80s women's studies type of, of, you know, studies of the genre. But she actually does like a pretty good. Um, I believe the the author's name is Jansen. Um, she does a pretty good. You know, she she, she was like clearly interested in um, sort of the you know the marketing and 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 all of that. So she you know has this like long amazing list of all the different ways they advertise their products, and they were putting them in like you know in in McDonald's happy like McDonald's meals and hefty grocery bags and Kotex packaging and just. You know, all these like fascinating ways that the company w- was using to reach, you know, that, you know, their like who they were envisioning as their like stereotypical customer, which is that was one of the most frustrating things about the article actually, was because they're clearly like they have this huge, you know, history of, of doing these like, you know, marketing attempts, but it's actually very hard to find. Pictures or visuals, or you know, I mean, I might sort of my dream was I kept like stalking eBay, hoping that if I if I looked long enough, somebody would put one of those like you know codex packages <laughs> containing a Harlequin romance. Oh on. my so, god! <laughs> I, unfortunately, but one of the ways I kind of tried to you know like find visual stuff from it is you know I was like looking through women's magazines because you know when there was sort of the big showdown between silhouette and Harlequin in the '80s, you know they really were investing money like just going. Head to head, advertisement-wise, in places like the calls and Ladies' Home Journal, and so you know, if, if I looked hard enough, I could sometimes find there was one that was like a there was like a Delta tickets giveaway. It was like a vacation giveaway, you know, like they were doing like the the Harlequin Classics Library. Mm-hmm. So there was a um, there was a they would do just the advert, you know, the, the sweepstakes giveaway design on the front cover, and um, there was one I think it might have been for like cigarettes or something. Um, you know so you just sort of find this stuff but like I wanted to find so much more of it than I could because I just think it's fascinating but is people have held on to the books that they love like people have held on to their keepers but it's actually you know I was kind of having trouble finding um you know the actual some of the like actual advertisements and 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 you know and and like you know marketing materials because, right, right you know people don't people don't hang on to a you know, a uh, uh, Kotex package from like 1982, you know, they, and we're not too. <laughs> so disappointing.
0: <laughs> so what are some other funky things that you learned during your research, either for Harlequin or any of the other pieces that you've written about romance? Like, what are some things that you're like, you guys would not believe this cool ass shit I've learned.
1: Um, well, my favorite thing that I learned was, um, Anne Hampson I sort of want to research her a little bit more over time cuz she seemed like an interesting an interesting person in a lot of ways but one of the things I learned about her is that so one of one of the books I read was was Windward Crest which is a book she wrote about um, it was like one of those like Caribbean crew like english girl on a caribbean cruise falls in love with a local man who lives in the caribbean who is you know very romantic, of course, and very wealthy. Um, And she, you know, obviously made a fortune writing Mills and Boons. And um she built herself a huge, nice house, and she named it Windward Crest, which is one of my favorite, like, stories about sort of like, you know, ladies, like, you know, la- like, ladies building, you know, lives for themselves with, you know, with with these, you know, writing Mills and Boons and writing Harlequins. I mean, I think that's, that's, like that's, ex- you know, that's exactly what I'd do if I made a huge fortune writing these books is I would, you know, build a huge house and like slap the name of one of my titles on it, which I just, I just loved that. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you know, come at me people who weren't, who, who like didn't like the idea of my, you know, my, my category romance career. Um, and, you know, the, all the marketing stuff was my, was, was definitely one of my favorite things because it's just such an interesting way, you know, like all the, I actually really love all the stuff about the business itself because, you know, I, you know, my, my taste in romances is more modern than that. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's hard reading the stuff from the late 70s and the early 80s, like, because it's pre, you know, it, it just doesn't have the same, you know, a good one is still a good one, but a lot of times the sort of the middle, you know, the middle ground ones and the ones that aren't as good are, are you know, they're,
0: they're tough going. Um, and they're extra painful in some ways. Yeah, cuz you can like
1: sort of see the modern romance starting to emerge but you know there's just the like the the dynamics are just very, you know, very very difficult um to read sometimes. Um But, you know, but just the way, you know, the way they were so dedicated to like getting their books in the hands of their readers and the way there's, sometimes there's almost like a tension between, between the company and the, and the writers and the readers. Mm -hmm. Writers in England at Mills and Boone are sort of doing things that are more, you know, like racier and, you know, they're sort of pushing the limits and, you know, they're thinking in terms of like, you know, they're like sort of developing these tropes, and they're, de- you know, de- developing the genre, and, you know, readers are saying, oh, we want more of this, or we want more of that, or, like, you know, we're reading, like, the Kathleen Witteweiss, and, you know, we want more explicit stuff, and, and then you've kind of, some, in some ways, got, like, all these, you know, these, these, these guys at the top who are, who, you know, do sort of visualize it as this more, like, consumer packaged goods style product, um, and I, I, you know, I, and I, I think that, you know, some of the tensions there were, are very interesting. In the early history of the business, it is very much like everybody is sort of in the in the you know in the C suites is like it, you know it is it is still like the business end is is as a lot of it is is it's men you know mm-hmm. but you have like sort of you know women like you know seizing their business for their own purposes in a lot of ways to you know either to like make money or to like get the entertainment they want and you know it's a very like it's a much more like you know assertive and empowered group of readers and writers than I, than people you know than people would necessarily give it credit for. Cause I think there's this, there's this sort of cultural narrative. I mean, you know, you know, one of the commenters when I, you know, when I did that piece, rec- like sort of referred to it as, as was talking about like in- this idea of industrial fiction. And, um, you know, basically I think there's this, there's this, people have this vision of, you know, Harlequins just sort of being like stamped out on an assembly line. And yes.
0: I- they are all the same. They're all churned out. Someone's at the world's largest mimeograph machine. turning the crank.
1: Which seems just it's it so does not match with like the actual experience of reading them because, you know, of course we know that there's a gazillion subgenres. I mean, and it's like all these tropes that get combined in all these like, you know, all these complicated and, and fascinating ways. So, you know, and, and, and it's not like Harlow, you know, and, and people, you know, sort of always talk about like the, you know, the, the, like the outlines where, you know, on page 72, they're going to do this. And, you know, if somebody has one of those outlines, please email it to me because I would love to look at it. (laughs) Obviously, you know there's certain like genre conventions, and and when you get to the category lines, I mean, they do have very specific expectations about like what constitutes a Harlequin presents. I mean, I don't think there's any argument about that. But I think there's just so much more like pushback from you know writers want to try this, and you know the editors are like, well, you know maybe we can try this third option. And meanwhile, readers are saying, you know, well, you know, all we want is this. Please give us more of this. And you know, it's just not like you know, dispatches from the mothership where people just like, it's not this like one directional relationship where like Harlequin is just like, you know, like you said, mimeographing everything and people are just like gobbling down. Yeah, you know, it's that I just don't think that's how, you know, that's not how it works and people that's, but that's a very real misconception.
0: It's very true with the reading that you've done about the genre. Is there anything that you were surprised to learn that affected how you view the books that you read is there anything that you learned that made you think well whoa I'm going to look at romances a little differently now the way sort of they they hash
1: out the presence of sex in the books really actually was very interesting to me because I've always been kind of a historical fan and I've read a lot of contemporaries but I like came up very much reading the you know so like I was definitely like a you know somebody who was brought in basically by reading Lisa Kleypas.
0: that's really <laughs> so, not a bad way to go in it's, it was a
1: really good introduction. Like she would like, that was the first, you know, the first author that I was like, as opposed to like, you know, buying them for buying books for 50 cents at the friends, of the libraries use bookstore sale or stealing them from my mother under the cover of night. Like that was the first, like really, you know, that was where I was, you know, spending my own money and, and buying them at Barnes and Noble and being like, this is where I want to go. And this is what I want to read. But, you know, I, I had a certain narrative in my head about like when sex enters Romances and how explicit it is and what the consent dynamics are and it actually was really interesting watch watching it be hashed out because you know i i um kathleen woodweiss's shauna when i was like 13 and i couldn't read it i had to put it down because um i mean i i haven't picked it back up since so i might be misremembering it but basically there was something that happened that like even as like a 14 year old i was like this, I'm not comfortable with this. This is not, I can't find this romantic. You know, I go back and I'm sort of doing this research on category romances to see when sex enters, because that's the other thing that people often misunderstand about Harlequins is like how long it takes for them to get sexy. I mean, and you know, the reader's experience, like the, you know, the, the Violet Winspear ones as being sexy, but there's no like, you know, no dicks on the page. <laughs> <laughs> dicks on the page. <laughs> part of what forces contemporary, like, American temper- contemporary romance to get more, you know, explicit, it is, it is you know, the, 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 you know, the Wood-a-Weiss books and the, you know, Rosemary Rogers and the, you know, this quote-unquote bodice rippers that, you know, I always had a more complicated relationship with as a reader. You no, know, it was interesting to sort of see that as kind of a you know an important turning point where it's very hard, like you know it's 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 difficult to read some of those books as a modern reader and enjoy them because you know it's just hard to it's just it's just hard to you know get your head into the headspace where that felt empowering, but I mean it was but it was interesting to look at it in its historical context and it it, it you know it made me view the development of the the genre differently.
0: The, the, the idea of sex and romance really, I think, is part of the reason that it is so often maligned. Because culturally, especially in the U.S., we're okay with death and violence. We like lots of different permutations of death and violence. We like cozy mysteries. We like violent mysteries. We like thrillers. We like true crime, which is like blending nonfiction and crime and into this great, pulpy, wonderful thing. So we're, we're all good with, you know, death. But sex and emotions... No, 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 that's just terrible. That's just stupid stuff. We shouldn't deal with that at all. So when you add the sex and the emotion, it, it immediately plus you know the fact that it's written and enjoyed by women, it it's automatically going to be dismissed.
1: Well, like it's 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 hard to talk about sex without people turning into a bunch of giggling third graders. I mean, I guess I know. <laughs> it's and and I think that like you know sort of the genre doesn't get enough credit for the fact that it you know it is kind of like. It is sort of it's it's thinking in an interesting way about about sex and 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 about like you know the relationship between sex and feelings and you know and all this sort of stuff and and you know and people you know people who 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 write these books just like you know they've they've clearly done like a you know a fair bit of thinking about it you know it's, what's interesting to me about it is how complicated the the like sort of the dance that's happening between fantasy and reality is. Yep. You want to like represent genuine conflicts but you also want to you know end with like a like a goal or a dream situation you know not an unrealistic situation it's very interesting what sort of the negotiation that's happening between sort of like you know what do we want and you know how can we get what we want and like what is it realistic to want and and I don't know, I think that part of what's interesting about it is, you know, romance writers end up saying that, yes, it is genuinely realistic to want good sex, which, <laughs> you know, I, I I think that's probably a good narrative to have. <laughs> 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 There's this sort of common idea, a lot of times people think it is a lot easier to, like, good, healthy adult relationships and, and satisfying sexual relationships are a lot easier than people, you know, think they are, like, people, people are like, uh, you know, this is this is a common you know a common rejoinder is like you know why don't people just communicate and it's oh okay oh okay wow gee what a great solution like why didn't I think of just like <laughs> talking it through but like you know it's it's like the you know the, the the fact of the matter is is that you know like a lot of our lives are spent sort of are spent communicating but like communicating is not always easy and these novels kind of speak to the fact that this stuff is hard and you know and and it's also people tend to think that like because we sort of live sort of post-sexual revolution that it's easy for women to speak up and say well I want you to touch my vagina this way (laughs) and that's very like talk about unrealistic like I think it actually is often very difficult for, for, for women in, in, even, you know, in the modern world to, to say these things. And like, sometimes like people come to like being able to ask for things through, you know, sex advice columns and stuff like that. But like, that doesn't speak to everybody. Nope. And I think that a lot of times, like, you know, I, I think there's something cool about the fact that there's this entire, you know, Harlequin Presents is sold in every Walmart in America and, you know. You know, there's a lot of places where it's still hard to to tell your husband that you want him to do a certain thing. You know, I just I think that there's something very cool about the fact that there's this entire popular literature that's like, no, you should. You know, you deserve that. That's good. Like every, you know, go for it. Say it. Speak up.
0: Plus, there's also <laughs> this um, cultural expectation that men should automatically know how to have sex and do it well. And female orgasms can be really mysterious and tricky. And it's interesting to me that while there are some really ridiculous cliches about sex and romance, like the simultaneous orgasm, if they're not coming together, then they won't be staying <laughs> together. is like the, 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 the subtext there. It's not even sub, it's just text. But there's also the fact that you have a lot more oral sex. There's a yeah. lot more sexuality that's depicted and explained. And it's a it's a way of learning about sex through your own imagination, and <laughs> being able to say, oh, like when you were reading Shauna, okay, that this is not no, this does not work for me. Whereas, oh, that does work for me. I can learn more about this interesting thing and possibly visit the cool shop with the tinted windows that you know I drive by every day and don't have the courage to go in. Now I want to go in because this sounds great. <laughs> I know redheaded girl who reviews for me was very frank about the fact that. When she first had sex, as she put it, two virgins plus unlubed condom equals not good times. (laughs) She was convinced to try again because she'd been reading romance. She's like, I know it's supposed to be better than that. It's supposed to go on for like five pages. There's supposed to be waves and cresting, for God's sake. We we have to figure this out. This is really important. I do think
1: it's it's interesting because I've had, you know, I've had this conversation with, like, people I know who, you know, are sort of open to the idea. Like, they're open to the idea that, like, they don't read romance, but they're open to the idea that, like, yeah, that's a cool thing to be into. And the difference, people sort of do think a lot of times that romance is porn. And and I'm like, no, 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 no. like. And to me the like the, the stereotypical like the pizza plot is the, is the way to, make, to explain the difference like you know in porn the plot is just there to to make the sex happen whereas in romance like I do think the like the sex is sort of in the service of the story of the couple, right? but that having been said, I do think that it can be a very interesting way to sort of like basically try on ideas you know, you can sort of like, you know, like you can sort of, you know, go to the dressing room and decide whether or not you really think that burnt orange is your color. And, and you can do that. And, in, in, you know, in the, like you said, in the privacy of your own imagination. And I do think that that's valuable. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, and it's a lot more like, it's, it's, a, it's a vastly more friendly way to access it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to have it to be good, even if <laughs> looking at my Kindle would suggest otherwise. <laughs>
0: it's It's true. And plus, if you've have you noticed that the sex scenes almost always take place from the female perspective? Yeah. yeah. and, and even if like yeah, like yesterday I was reading um, one of my favorite super violent comfort reads, which sounds like such a strange thing to say, but <laughs> romance fans understand what I mean. I love Dragon actually by G.A Aiken. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read this. the The hero is a dragon shifter. They are super violent, campy fairy tale, sexy romances. The heroine is Anwil or Anwul the Bloody, and she has to she has to kill her brother in order for him to stop trying to kill her. And she's ferocious in battle and leads this huge rebellion of men. Um, and she gets rescued by this dragon who's sort of amused by her initially. Mm-hmm. But I'm reading this and there are several scenes where the sex scene will start out from his point of view and then make a switch. As soon as things get very, very physical, it switches to her point of view. And I'm trying to think, when the last time I read a complete sex scene from the male point of view, and I cannot remember having read one in a romance and it's interesting because you're so firmly located forgive all of the puns in these statements you're so you're so centrally located inside the heroine's perspective as much as i dislike the theory because this isn't how i personally read it gives some weight to the idea that readers who are reading romance are at times the heroine they're inserting themselves, forgive me, and as the heroine they're, they're symbiotically merging with her, that, that the heroine is their entree into the world of this romance. And that's not how I read. I like the characters to both be individuals and I don't wish to be part of either one. I like to, I like to be super nosy and have omniscient knowledge of all of them because I'm really, really nosy. The idea, though, that the sex is always from the female point of view also underscores this idea that, you know, women are never told sex is okay. You're either told don't have it and don't want it. If you do want it, you're a slut. No one says generally to women, okay, so um, sex is totally normal and it's totally cool if you want some and here's some information about how your body works. Here's all this information. And romance is the one place that consistently does that.
1: I do think maybe there are some readers who, who do like, you know, to be in the, in, in the heroine shoes and I, totally, you know,
0: totally.
1: I, yeah. And I, I, you know, and I, I would never want to like, you know, denigrate that way of reading. But I also think that like, sometimes it's just nice, like, cause I know that part of the reason that I ramped up my reading is because it is it's, it's often very hard to find just like female perspectives generally. Like it's hard to find like, you know, women protagonists. I mean, it and it and it, you know, it it bugs the shit out of me. And like, you know, there's this whole thing with like, you know, fairy tale adaptations where I kind of felt like there's this whole string of fairy tale adaptations, like like Snow White and the Huntsman was the one that really bugged me because I felt like Snow White was not the protagonist. I felt like the Huntsman was the protagonist. And I was like, what, we can't even have fairy tales Like, you know, you got to put it, like, you got to make a, like, a dude the center of a fairy tale for crying out loud. Like, I get very frustrated with, like, superhero movies, because, like, I love blockbusters, and I love, you know, I love science fiction, and I love superhero movies, but it just, Black Widow is just, like, not the star of the Avengers, you know? (laughs) She just, you know, like, it's like we have to have a cast of, like, how many before we can have a woman in there, part of the team, and it's just... You know, it, it's so frustrating. So I think that part of it, too, is is this, like, hunger for stories told from a woman's perspective up to and including, like, we want to see sex from that perspective, you know, because we don't. I mean, it's always, like, you know, tits floating in the background and, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, which is not to say that, like, you know, you know, ladies don't love tits, but, like, it feels like a lot of times, like, every, everything is for, like, a, you know, 14-year-old boy and it's just, like, so refreshing to, to, to not have it be that way, I think.
0: It's very true. What do you think of the the constant idea that romance readers are ashamed of what they read?
1: I think people are sensitive about what they read, and I include myself in that cuz, you know, I it's not, you know, it's it's not the first thing that I bring up in a conversation with a lot with people a lot of times. But it's not because I'm embarrassed by what I read, it's because I don't want to, I just like, I'm not interested in other people's opinions about it a lot of the time. I think readers can be, you know, sensitive about it because there's such an awareness that people are like, have so many misconceptions and, you know, and, and, and just really kind of like stupid and offensive misconceptions about it. I mean, and yeah, and it's like, there's so many different wonderful stereotypes to pick from. I mean, you know, are we, are we, are we prudes or are we like sex crazed? Are we like, Secretly, sex crazed prudes. I mean, it's just it's like so many things people can assume, and you know, and like I, I feel like I started reading on. The, I did start reading my Kindle, like more books on my Kindle when that became an option. But that's probably because like I ride the city, I ride the subway in New York City,
0: and you know, who needs that? <laughs> I've had that happen. It's not fun.
1: I feel like it's not because people are necessarily like ashamed or embarrassed. It's just because people who aren't as who who don't have a, a good understanding of it make so many assumptions that I think people are are cautious about like who you know who they who they tell about it because like you know what you like you're going to be at a party and somebody's gonna be like oh hmm. like people sort of see sometimes occasional reticence and they assume it's, it's shame because, because we I guess we should be ashamed but like no actually I just I just don't want to hear your opinion about my reading
0: <laughs> yes that is my theory that I haven't met a romance reader who is ashamed because if we were ashamed actually ashamed we wouldn't do it what we're tired of is being interrupted while we're reading by someone who wants to tell us how we should be ashamed and really we just want to read so piss off my last question for you what books have you been reading romance or otherwise that you recommend and have really enjoyed because you're on vacation right now right and I've totally interrupted your vacation like a total jerk (laughs) jerkwad. well it's
1: really more of a working vacation um let's see I've kind of been trying a lot my reading lately has been very like, you know, work oriented because, you know, I'm, I'm working on a couple of projects. So one thing I did this earlier this summer is I reread a bunch of Mary Stewart books and I thought that was really interesting. It was sort of interesting to read sort of a forerunner of modern romantic suspense. Yep. I mean, they're definitely from the 50s and 60s. And, you know, occasionally you'll bump into something that makes you go, oh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> she has this very interesting prose style. Uh, either you're going to be into it or you're not going to be into it. But, you know, if you, it's almost kind of reminds me of that, um, that Elaine Dundee book, The Dud Avocado, sort of that um, like rat-a-tat, like cosmopolitan woman voice from, that's a very, sp- very particular voice from the fifties and sixties, but very interesting. And, you know, if you're, if you're into old, you know, older stuff and you can sort of wade through, you know, sort of some of the, you know, the retro stuff that can be more frustrating than, than it actually did. They're a very interesting read. Um, I read my first George at Hire book. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I read Frederica, and it was fantastic. And um, I can't believe it took me so long to finally read something by her. And I'm actually really excited to read the new um, Meredith Duran book. That's I haven't ordered it yet. Like I haven't purchased it yet on Kindle. But I'm I really I've I've been I, I she sort of kickstarted a historical romance tear for me last year. Um, Cause I, I, I don't know. I was just so fat. Like, I, I feel like she works in a lot of historical detail that I, that I really loved. Yep. Like there's one yep. where they just keep talking about the corn laws. And I just was so into that. Um, <laughs> Cause I just love, I mean, I love things that sort of incorporate those, you know, those, those, those historical details. Um, I really love that. Like <laughs> um, I really love how much, how many like Victorian romances there are out there right now, because I just, I, that's my, That's the, that's my period. I love, I mean, I'm so fascinated by it. So um, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm reading now.
0: Is there a romance that you consistently recommend to people?
1: Well, for a long time, it was, it was Lord of Scoundrels and I still stand by it, but I tried to make my book club read it and they <laughs> they didn't go for it. Um, so actually, a lot of times I recommend um, Sarah McLean's books. I, I, I actually I recommend her as a good as a good starting point a lot. Um, it's interesting because. <laughs> It's so it's so hard to recommend a first book because you just never yes. know whether somebody is going to be a contemporary reader or a historical reader or a suspense reader. It's hard to know what to what to give people. Um, I think Victoria Dahl is a good one. This is one that I definitely I recommend to folks a lot. Um, and yeah, I think that's usually that's usually where I start. Um, Jennifer Cruzy, obviously. Um, if you are into, I feel, I feel that's the one I give people if they're like into rom-coms, I'm like, Oh yeah, this will be your, this will be your thing. This will
0: definitely be your thing.
1: (laughs) You you got it. You got a lot of reading to do.
0: (laughs) So which doll do you recommend? Is there a particular one?
1: I really like the um the the one she the sort of the series she's writing now, Girls Night Out. That's mm-hmm. I just really I really enjoyed those. And I feel like they're very like fun and you know, there's a biker and I just <laughs> I really I really enjoy that. So that's that's the one sort of the the series that I recommend a lot now. Cause a lot of times when I'm recommending, I recommend um, you know, I'm 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 recommending sort um, of for the Jezebel audience, so that's a that's a, a really good one. I tell you what I'm really looking forward to reading is um I'm really looking forward to reading a bunch of um Beverly Jenkins. i I feel like she, I, I I'm about to go on a tear there <laughs> about She's to
0: wonderful. Is there a particular one you want to you want to read, or do you need a you know I'm what? just read them all.
1: <laughs> where do I start? I'm looking for a recommendation.
0: Well, I really liked Indigo. There are a couple of scenes where, I think my my heart was in my throat because I thought the characters were in a, in a specifically vulnerable position. Indigo is fascinating because the heroine is a former slave and she's free, and the, the lengths to which she has to go to protect the, the evidence of her freedom are part of the story. But she ends up, she's a stop on the Underground Railroad, and she's got this really good-looking unconscious man in the root cellar who... I don't remember if he. I remember if he hit his head or something, but he's he is not awake and he's of course hot. And it turns out he is this uh, legend in the in the railroad in terms of getting people out of the south and up into the northern colonies and into Canada. And um, their their romance is so good, but part of the tension of the story is that there are escaped slave catchers, slave hunters, wandering around the. the woods looking for him the danger that works against them is palpable but in addition to the the present danger that surrounds them there's also a class difference that affects their relationship it's so rich there's so much good thing to brain happy good book reading brain happy and then there's the um the her most recent trilogy with uh avon And, of course, as usual, I can picture the cover, but, of course, I cannot actually pull it up. Destiny was the Destiny series. So the first one was Destiny's Embrace. The second one is Destiny's Surrender, and the third one is Destiny's Captive. Destiny's Embrace is so good because the heroine is escaping an abusive parent by answering an ad for a long-distance housekeeper, and she goes from Philadelphia to pre-statehood California. Mm-hmm. So part of it is the history of California before it became a state, mm-hmm. and how many different cultures and races mixed in that part of the country before it was formally included in the United States. There's a train journey where you learn about the history of, of, of California. It's just so cool. The second one um, is the brother of the hero of the first one, and he has a... Uh, a <sighs> she's not an escort but she's not quite a prostitute like she's she is a sex worker who is installed in a very specific house for a very specific madam and -hmm. there's a there's a word for that and i can't remember what it is a courtesan maybe she's kind of like a courtesan that's the right word right
1: i think so i feel like i i was recently reading this book about um the woman that um one of the, the one of the this there's a famous opera based on her life and it was sort of wild how specific the terminology around sex work in eighteen in nineteenth century Paris was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so I know there's um, a, a proper term for this woman, but either way, she it, she has sex in exchange for currency, and he is one of she is one of his favorites, and he comes to st- see her and hang out with her and talk to her, and she ends up pregnant. Um, and when her life is in danger, she goes back to his family's estate and says, look, this is his baby and I'm in danger. So here, baby, I got to go. And his mother is like, uh, no, 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 you're you're staying too. What is this crap? And so they have to work out their relationship after they have a baby. And again, there's a lot of class differences that come into in, into the space between them and mess things up because they don't quite know how to talk to each other, except for the sex. Sex is great. They got that language down. It's all the other ones that are a problem. Mm-hmm. The third one, Destiny's captive, the heroine is a pirate. Oh, well. I mean, obviously, sign me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I remember correctly, I did not read that one. Um, Carrie read this one, and her her disappointment was that the heroine wasn't, a, capt- uh, wasn't a, a pirate captain long enough. Like, she wanted more piracy for the heroine. And so... <laughs> I can totally understand someone's complaint being, "I need more high seas adventure for my heroine." When is that going to happen? I really miss.
1: I feel like I, I. That's one of the things from like you know historical romance of In Days of Yore is we really don't have enough pirates anymore. Like that's just big issue for me. It's true.
0: We need more pirates. Oh, <laughs> I can give you a recommendation if you like pirates. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean. All right, yeah. Darlene Marshall writes. um, historicals but they're set in florida and there are tons of pirates lots of them and she's a she's a really good writer um in terms of creating characters and situations that are so absorbing like she's one of those writers when you're reading her book you are on the ship with everybody else Mm -hmm. so the most recent one was the pirate's secret baby oh my god (laughs) you would seriously really like this book yo I love secret babies and I love pirates, so Yeah, this is this is made for you. Like this is if you are on vacation, I suggest you drop everything and read the the pirate's secret baby. <laughs> I mean that's probably exactly what I'm gonna do for the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, well there you go. That's all you need. Plus the um the thing about Darlene's characters is that the heroines have a lot of agency and her heroines don't take any crap which I happen to love. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you would probably really like The Pirate's Secret Baby. It can be an adjustment to go from historical in Europe to historical in the States because you know when you're in the historical regency, for example, everything is super, super fluffy and wonderful if you're in the, the aristocracy, if you're among the nobility. Mm -hmm. like there there's you know somebody takes care of all of your messy problems you just get dressed and go do things with historical set in the states it's a lot more gritty and real and you know things are not fluffy and pretty and there aren't a ton of servants to make life easy for everybody so it's it's a slightly different kind of historical but you would really like this one
1: that sounds that sounds great. I like
0: that too. Like I
1: like that. I feel like that's sort of a trend in historical romance now. Is people are you know sort of working like they're you know sort of taking a broader view of you know of what the world was. Like I mean, Courtney Milan obviously does this really successfully, where she's looking at you know what what was going on outside of you know outside of the, the, the ballrooms and and I just I feel like there's just there's there're just so much so many interesting things happening in that world that it's like I love it when you know that's part of the story.
0: I have a whole tag that I love called historical but not in a ballroom. <laughs> like I love this series. There's actually two historical series you might really like. Um Julianne Long's Penny Royal Green series. It's small town historical set in a small town in far away from London. And there are two major families and some there is some aristocracy, but there's one where the romance is between the uh, the town vicar and a courtesan who inherits a house and moves to town. And of course, everyone is so scandalized that she's a courtesan and he is terrifically attracted to her. His position as the vicar is is given to him by his family. He's a distant cousin of one of the powerful families. And so his job and his ability to, you know, have any kind of standard of living is endangered by his attraction to this woman because his community is like uh uh no no mr vicar that's not okay yeah. and then and then kate noble also writes a lot of historical not in a ballroom like summer of you is about a woman who really loves being the the center of attention in london and then she has to go back to her family's estate out in the country to take care of a relative and she's like this just sucks this is boring and it's really crappily boring but she ends up meeting a hot guy and has a really fascinating sort of summer romance so it's it's got all of these sort of contemporary-esque elements like the summer fling and the small town and the and the country setting where everyone knows your business and, and you can never really grow up because everyone still sees you as this young person but then it's set in, the, in a historical time period where there are even more social constraints on the heroine and then Noble also wrote one that took place in Regency, Venice, and it was like it was like the best dessert I didn't know I wanted.
1: <laughs> See, I really I I really I mean my dream romance that I wish somebody would write is I really want, um I really want to read historical romance that's like a sort of about like the the sort of the Habsburg intrigue. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by all those tiny German states and their tiny their, you know, their, their tiny courts and their tiny palaces. And I just, I really wish somebody would write that series for me because I I just, you know, I want, I
0: want the Empress Sissy as a character. I just, I'm into that. <laughs> I think one of the challenges for that is that, Courtney Milan talks a lot about this, that in historicals that are in familiar time periods, the, if you're a fan of historical regencies, the world building is already done. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I understand so much terminology of Regency Romance Land. Like I know what a Phaeton looks like and I know about all these different dresses you wear and what you do at different times of the day. And like I, I understand that world because I've read so much of it. If you're moving readers to a different world in a historical era, you have to do a great deal more world building. That can, That's a skill that's not easy to do. Yeah. So if you're going to move people to small courts in Germany, there's going to be this incredible amount of world building. But yeah, I would I would totally read that. <laughs> like, oh, I wish to know more.
1: It's not the, you know, it's not the, I, you know, the widest, <laughs> you know, probably, you know, the, the there's there is a market for those of us who are interested in it, but it's not probably, you know that's not the not the most (laughs) like large base of readers probably
0: no but the nice thing is that if you know that there are readers for a particular work um there's a there's there are options to get that book into the hands of readers yeah yeah we have a lot more options now yay (laughs) thank you so much for doing this interview this has been so much fun awesome awesome enjoy the rest of your vacation and please let me know what you think of pirate secret baby
1: Oh, I will. I will. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
0: Dude, anytime. If you have things you want to talk about or you're working on like new long form articles or you've learned some weird ass shit, please email me. I would love to hear about it.
1: Well, I, I mean, I really think that as the result of this conversation, I'm going to get a bunch of emails from your readers being like, here's a picture of a bag of hefty trash bags with a Harlequin presents in it from
0: 1982. So- <laughs> if that happens, I'm totally excited.
1: i think that probably the odds of that are not huge but you never know these are good so
0: (laughs) you never know i mean i've lived in old houses and when i've done like minor construction like taking off of the wall of shelves in a closet i have found some funky stuff so hey you never know and that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Kelly for taking time out of her vacation, working vacation, but still vacation to hang out and talk romance novels. If you have questions or ideas or suggestions, or you have some original advertising packages that feature Harlequin romances from the late 70s, early 80s, you know what to do. You can email me at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. Even if you don't have advertisements and you have something you want to tell me, that's totally cool. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of As Lost As I Get, the highly anticipated sequel to Lisa Nichols' first romantic suspense novel, The Further I Fall. Download it on August 18th. And we have a podcast transcript sponsor. The transcript is handcrafted by Garlic Knitter and is sponsored this month by Wattpad. Whatever you're into, there is a story you'll love on Wattpad, where over 40 million people from around the world are reading, writing, and connecting over stories. You might like one of the most popular stories that's ongoing right now, Omer Ta by Katarina Tonks. You can access Wattpad for free from devices that you already own. Join today and find your happily ever after. The music that you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter, at Sassy Outwater. This is the Pete Bog Fairies. This is from their album, Black House, because I love it, and this track is called The Ranch. You can find their album on iTunes or on Amazon. And in the show notes, also known as the podcast entry, I'll have links to that plus all of the books that we discussed. And I will also have links if you've missed them to Kelly's long form articles about romance, how Harlequin became the most famous name in romance, and how romance novelists got such a silly sappy rap. Until next week, on behalf of Kelly and Jane and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.